You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Let's head into our series, our, our focus on Advent, uh, this ancient anticipation of the arrival of the Christ child that, that informs our current waiting and anticipation for God to return to the earth. And so we're going to look at an unusual passage this morning, but I think hopefully the Lord uses it in good ways. You know, humanity is unique amongst all the creatures and the species of the earth, like no other creature on the earth quite contemplates the meaning of our existence and the purpose of our living quite like we do. At the end of a a good day napping, of eating, of going to the bathroom outside, of greeting their owners, dogs, they don't lay their head on the pillow at night contemplating whether there is more to life than just burying bones. Fish don't reflect deeply that they're swimming in water where they've defecated in. Like, they're not considering those things. Not to say that animals don't have emotions. It just means that humanity stands alone in our ability to seek meaning and to ponder over the complexities of life. Now, where does that come from? Now, some would have us believe that we have evolved from some primordial amino acid slushy into our current states, which would mean that at some point, there would seem to be other species or beings that might have some rationality, some complex thoughts about the meanings of life, but we don't find that. What we do find in our scriptures is the knowledge of our unique role in creation, our unique design in creation, that mankind is the supreme creation of God, a creation that was, as the scripture teaches us, made in his image. In Genesis, the very first two chapters, it teaches us that we were made in the image of God, that God made us like him, male and female, he created us. And so God creates us in his own image, and then he breathes life into us for the primary purpose of loving and enjoying him in his creation, Our purpose in life is to enjoy and love our creator in his creation. Yet we remember, as we've talked about last week, we don't exist as we once did. Paradise was broken. Humanity is fallen and in sin. And we read about that and we continue to read about that in Genesis chapters 3. We have chosen ourselves over God. And we were kicked out of paradise. We were separated from God in our sin. And we exist today disconnected from the very source of our existence, the very sole purpose of our living. The scripture compels to us that we are lost and lacking. Which means that, of course, we as humanity are searching for answers to the questions of our life. It means, of course, that we're trying to make sense of our realities because we're devoid of the truest and most satisfying part of our creation, a full and undiluted communion with God himself. And today, there are ways in which we don't know how deeply we mourn that. 
We are trying to figure out ourselves, and we're trying to figure out our surroundings. And out of that mourning and out of that loss, we seek answers. We seek meaning. What will bring me life in this world, we ask of ourselves? Which means that humanity, we are a curious bunch by nature. We are interested in others to see if they've figured this thing out. We're attracted to people that seem to have answers that we don't, to people that seem to be happier than us, to be more resolved than us, to be more steadfast to us. We're drawn to the latest trends and the fads of the world, believing that if we just could do that or know that, then life might get easier. We want to know the wisdom of others because we believe that it brings the answers to our lacking. But that's a problem. It's a problem because knowing what they know and and doing what they do won't fix the problem of my soul. They're counterfeits. That we were made from God and for God. We are made from God and for God, and he is the remedy to our weary and searching heart. And everything else is fake and counterfeit in this world. And so look, this is our problem. This is our problem, but it's always been the problem. A humanity that trusts and listens to a voice other than their creator's. And so today, I I hope that we can find joy and rest in God's goodness and faithfulness, that knowing our disposition, God, knowing our lacking, our attempts to try meaning, to find meaning in life, has fought to keep his voice central in our life, near us, to be the focus of our life. And look, we don't deserve it. I don't. I don't deserve it, but God has devoted himself to his people that they would know his voice and his character. And so our task today is to understand the priority that God has for us, to trust and listen to his voice, and then to celebrate today how he has done that. And so would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you this morning. And we beg for your forgiveness for the ways that we've not honored you in our life this week, the way that we have fallen short of you. And Lord, we're grateful for the gift of Christ and his grace and his forgiveness, the atonement of our sins, that we can come to you even in our most desperate situations, even in our worst of all conditions, even in the the worst sin that we can imagine. And so, Lord, we claim you as the authority of our life, the savior of our world, And we pray that you would use your word this morning to convict our hearts, to guide us to greater joy and gladness in who you are and what you've done. So Spirit, we pray that you would bring these words alive in our hearts, that you would do your purpose in our life with them. And we pray this all through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. And so in Deuteronomy, we we find God sort of culture building. He, he has taken these people and he's building a nation out of them. And he's establishing different functions of that nation. He's establishing a government. It's made of laws and precepts. He's made roles for his people and priests. Uh, he, he's, he's made rules on proper worship. God is doing the work in Deuteronomy of setting his people apart in this world. That they 
the people of Israel will be his people and he will be their God. And they will reflect his goodness and his word and his character into their world through their love for him. And so as we turn into chapter 18, as God is building this nation, building this culture, he begins to prioritize who they should listen to. What voices should they trust? And so let's pick that up here in chapter 18, all the way down in verse 15. God writes this in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Hoberim, Horib, Horib, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. Now, this book is written by the patriarch Moses. And he is speaking of the need of a mediator to come between God and his people, one who will speak on behalf of God. And he hearkens his readers back to remembering the moment that God had given to them the Ten Commandments. And he reminds them of the fear that was in them of hearing the voice of God. They were afraid of simply hearing the sound of the voice of God. Now, if, if you consider that in the beginning, we once walked in perfection, in communion, in conversation with God in the garden, and you contrast that to this moment where the people of God are now fearful of the sound of God's voice you understand a little bit of how broken and fallen creation has become and just how immeasurably holy our God is. They beg Moses for a mediator. And God, in his goodness, says, this is right. I want them to know me. And so he is going to bring them a mediator, a voice to bring them direction and encouragement and guidance and reproof. But what will that person look like? Well, he gives us that response here in verse uh, 19. Going on in Deuteronomy, or 18. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. Now, a prophet, as we know, is one who speaks on behalf of God. And so God is going to raise up prophets from their own people, and he commands the people that day to listen to them, and a failure to listen to the voice of God given through the prophet will result in great penalty by the hands of God. God is determined that his people listen and trust his voice. Now, this sounds a bit harsh. It sounds like God is saying, hey, listen to me or else. And maybe this harkens us back to our days as teenagers where we would go to our parents and say, hey, I want to go to Bob's house today. And they would say, and you would say, can I go? And they would say, no. And you would would ask them, well, why can't I go? And then they would give you this response, because I said so, right? We hated that response, right? What they were really saying is it's my way or the highway. 
And so when we read these verses where God says, listen to me or else, that rebellious teenager in us rises up and say, how dare you? But what we know is that the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. We need to know that in that day, surrounding this young upstart nation of Israel, existed groups of nomads, godless nomads, that practiced all sorts of witchcraft and demonic practices. There was a group of people called the Canaanites that actually practice child sacrifice. God wants his voice to be the priority of his people. Because if his voice isn't the priority, he knows that they will fill his voice with another. We are meaning seekers. And we will be swayed by the voices of the world seeking to find the deep answers to the questions of our souls. And so, look, it seems unreasonable to us in this day that somebody would be swept away into something like child sacrifice. But the human heart has a profound ability to rationalize even the most deplorable things if we think that we might find a measure of rest and acceptance by doing so. God knows what's in us. He knows what's in us. He knows what we're made of. It is his utmost priority to reveal to us his word that we are led by him and him alone. And on a practical reasoning, Moses isn't gonna be around forever. And so God is saying, I'm going to establish a line of prophets that will bring my word to the people. But then that creates a problem, doesn't it? Because they, they know that those prophets, they will rise up from amongst them, that it will be like their brothers. But how will I know if that's really a prophet or somebody who's just claiming to be a prophet? What evidence should I look for in the life of a prophet? And, and Moses tells us in verse 20 the answer to that. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And so look, God is promising those who deceive his people through claiming a prophetic gift that they will be utterly destroyed. This is a determent. Now, does that mean that those who come as claims with claims of being a false prophet will immediately die? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it means that their destruction is sure. We will always exist, and the people of God always existed in the world where those in the world claimed false privilege with God, that, that they are some sort of prophet from God when they truly are, are not. And the enemy will use them to deceive his people, the people of God. But we learn here that the expectation for a prophet is nothing short than perfection. If a prophet speaks a word, then that word is to come true or they prove themselves to be false. Now consider that God is perfect. His ways are perfect. His thoughts are perfect. And so if God tells somebody to say something, then you better believe that that will come to pass. Now today, in our modern context, we have we have people that claim to be prophets. Now, uh, maybe a sermon for another day. I have 
Um, I have an unease in my soul when somebody claims to be a prophet as I consider the final revelation that was given to us by God through Christ Jesus. But that's for another day. But I have heard a fair share of pastors and televangelists that have made predictions about recent political elections, about the state of the pandemic, in other words, they claim that are, that are from God, but they have been patently false. They have not happened. None of those claims have come true. They're wrong. And to quote a, a, a line from the movie, The Beauty and the Beast, this is a tale as old as time. That there would be people who seek power and influence and affluence in the world and they claim the name of God to get those things. Because how can you ever check if God really spoke to you? They use the name of God to deceive people, to grow their following and line their pocketbooks and they are fake. They are fake and God has warned us and given us the standard to not follow them. We should distance ourselves from them, lest we be caught up in their destruction. God is serious about his people hearing his voice. Serious. He will not let it be compromised. And so this is God's desire for his people, that they would center their lives around listening and trusting his voice. This will be how he leads and keeps his people. But what we also realize, wonderfully realize, is that Deuteronomy 18 isn't just a passage that tells us about how we recognize prophets, but it's a promise that is given for the future of people of God. It speaks of a singular prophet that would come into the world, that would speak the word of God, that would be revered, much like Moses would be revered, but he also would be rejected as Moses was rejected by his own people, who in the wilderness grumbled against him, saying, who made you ruler and judge? There would come a perfect prophet for the people of God. And that is confirmed as a promise as we look in the New Testament. And we see that this was a timeless promise that the people of God held on to. John the Baptist is a man sent from God who was called to prepare the way of the Messiah. He was a fulfillment of a prophecy that was given long ago in Isaiah in chapter 40. And that prophecy said this about John the Baptist in verses 2 and 3. It says, And a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so John is this eccentric, righteous, blameless man sent from God who brought great confusion in that day to exactly what he was. So much so that the Jews sent the priests to figure out, who are you? And that event is recorded in John's gospel in the first chapter, in verse 21, and it says this of the priest. They said, and they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Are you the prophet? Confirming here that God's people had taken this promise that there would be a perfect prophet that comes into the world to speak perfectly the word of God who would be regarded as the same as Moses, but John would defer to another person, one who he said he was unworthy to walk in his sandals. John would point the people to Jesus of Nazareth. And it wasn't Jesus, just John, I should say, that thought Jesus to be this profound perfect prophet, but the people of that day who interacted with Jesus thought the very same thing. After a miraculous feeding of over 5,000 people, 
There are people in a crowd that want to mob Jesus because they're so desperate to hear the word of God. They have been waiting for this promise to come true. And that event is recorded in John 6. In verse 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. People were so desperate to hear the word of God given to them by a mediator that at the mere thought that Jesus was it, they were ready to, to crown him king and make him ruler. Peter, speaking after the death of Christ to his fellow countrymen and peers in the book of Acts, quotes this verse in Deuteronomy directly, and he ascribes it to Jesus. In Acts 3, verses 22 and 23, it says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be the very that be, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. But Moses takes it a step further. He doesn't just say that there is a great and perfect prophet coming into the world. He says that every prophet in the Old Testament pointed to one that would come after them that would be greater and come in more than the role of a just a prophet. He goes on in Acts 3, verse 24. He says, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, this current moment, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That Jesus, or Peter is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy, the perfect prophet that others pointed to in their day. But more than that, Jesus wouldn't just be a prophet for God's people. He would be a servant for the entire world. Not just for the Israelites, but to be a blessing to all of the families of the earth, Jesus would come in the form of a servant to endure all the wrath that God had in his perfect love and justice for us in our sin. A man like us, born of us to fulfill the law for us, the one that was promised that would come into the world to renew and save it. Jesus is the word of God in flesh. He's the word of God in flesh. He is whom brings life and light into our world to a broken and wandering creation. John the disciple writes in the very beginning of his gospel, this beautiful prologue that reminds us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him not anything was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. As we journey in this season of Advent, as we celebrate the arrival of the Christ child, our Savior, Christ Jesus, we are reminded of another great prophecy that was written by Isaiah. 
And we find it in chapter 9, a promise given to the world. Isaiah writes, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government that shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be wonderful, called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's a bit of an interesting birth announcement, isn't it? It's unlike anything that we've probably heard in this world. When a child is born to us in this world, we often say baby X was born to such and such mom and dad. Yet the child that was coming here to be known as the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace, the one who would be born in a humble manger in Bethlehem would be born unto us, born for us us. That in Jesus, the word of God has become flesh. That the the word here indicates that he is the origin. He's the source of all life, the eternal world that has pre-existed creation, living in the presence of God forever and ever, has come into the world in flesh to be the life and the light of all mankind. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus this morning. In his proclamation about the priority of listening to his voice. In John 12, Jesus writes these words. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The, world, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of mine authority, but the Father who sent me has, given, has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus becomes the embodiment of Deuteronomy 18. He is the word that all the prophets pointed to. He is the word that all humanity will be judged by. His is the voice of God to the people that we must listen to, that we must know for the joy of eternal life and redemption. He was born unto us. Are we listening? To his word. Are we following his word? Is his word, this word, the priority and the center of our life? Today we, we exist in a world where people are literally paid to be influencers. They brand themselves as influencers. They're paid to make you believe that you need a product, that if you knew what they knew, that you would figure out life. They're trying to convince you that you, they know what's best for you. Yet they were not born unto us. They are in it for themselves. We have millions of voices, billions of words to cling to in our constant pursuit of meaning in this world. Meaning making that is the result of a fall, a separation from God. And so with this morning, will you hear me when I say that there isn't a person There isn't a voice, a word in the world that will prove worthy of your trust and faith to follow. That the only word and voice 
that matters was the one that came to us in flesh. He is worthy of our life. He is our shepherd. Do you hear the voice of your shepherd? He is the joy of our lives. He is the cause of our flourishing. He is the anchor to our peace and our rest in this life. Do you know his voice? Are you following his voice? Because if you are not following his voice, your heart will follow another. But none of those voices are eternal. None of those voices are life-giving. None of those voices are light. And none of them were born unto us. And so this morning, will you celebrate with me and revere with me the faithfulness that God has shown to us? He's revealed himself to us, that we can know him. He's brought his word to his people, that we can flourish and live in this life in joy with him. God has been faithful to reveal himself to us. He's been faithful to deliver on his promises so we can know him and love him and rest in him. The question that that is there for us this morning is will will we be fractionally as faithful to his word as he was to bring it to us? Will we be fractionally as faithful to his word as he was to bring it to us? Will we study his word? Will we study the word in the person in the life of Jesus? Will we listen to his commands? Will we pray and commune with God? Will we center our lives on his life-giving, sin-saving word? Because it is the hope of the world, the life and the light of all men. But also because it is the word that all of us will be judged by. All of us will be judged by. Will you pray with me? Father, we uh, confess this morning, um, I confess that, Lord, I, I am often not serious about hearing your voice. Uh, I, I defer to the voice of the world. I defer to the voices of social media. I, I defer to the voices of, of people in my sphere. I don't naturally defer to your voice, but as a voice that you've brought, a word that you've brought that was costly, it cost the blood of your own son. Lord, will you help us to make it the priority of our life, the focus of our minds and our hearts. Will you fill us with joy and gratitude knowing the lengths that you took to bring it to us? And Lord, will we have faith that is a word that brings life and light to our weary and wondering souls. We pray this in the beautiful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.